Well, good morning, everyone. As I've said on a number of Sundays um, in the last year, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, and today to the very last chapter, John chapter 21. I don't want to be remiss and not welcome Pastor Josh and Sherry and their family back from their holiday, and and glad that you found a good church to fellowship in and this Sunday. And uh, we, we appreciate you, as I do, all those who have prepared for this morning's service so that we might uh, be of, assisted by the Holy Spirit to, to lead you and to, and to worship God together. After, after many years now, I'm daily very thankful for the elders that uh, I get to serve with. I say that as much as I can. I mean it. I'm thankful for the day when uh, we as a church recognize the biblical requirement that local churches be led by elders and deacons. And uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, in the scripture reading today, uh, Dick, who is one of our elders, read from Acts chapter 20, as Paul instructed the elders, plural, from Ephesus, to care for the church of God. That's the requirement of elders, is to care for the church of God. That legacy that elders have today to care for the church of God was passed down from the apostles who received it from Christ. Uh, in the early church, of course, we, the Gospels speak of the ministry of Christ as he then called apostles to himself, but there's a transition that we must recognize, and that is the fact that these same apostles then passed the ministry, the care of the church, on to elders. The biblical term for elder is synonymous with pastor or bishop. I won't get into that this morning, but uh, you need to recognize that when I speak of elders, I'm speaking of pastors and overseers. Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 1.5, and I read, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town. So you see that, that change, that transfer of responsibility. Paul says to Titus, your job is to appoint elders in every town. And the job of the elder is to replicate himself. The job of the elder is to train up other young men passing on what has been faithfully brought to them and pass it on to them and so on. That is how uh, a church intended, ideally, is to grow. It grows through the discipleship and the replication of elders and, of course, other people. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me, he's the apostle, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Do you, do you see the, the process? Even Peter, who's going to play a major role in the passage that I'm preaching on today, uh, taught us this transfer that took place in the early church. In 1 Peter 5, 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, you could, he could have said as an apostle, right? But by the time the, the decades passed, then the transfer of church responsibility, the leadership was placed on elders 
always emphasizing plural, more than one. And Peter views himself in 1 Peter 5, 1 as a fellow elder, not an apostle. So this message this morning is going to speak directly to elders. And we as elders have invited you to listen in. I make no apology. The message is for me and for the other elders present and those that may be listening. But please, don't close your ears. Having said that, don't just say, okay, this is for someone else. Because before I finish, you will see the incredibly important role you play. But I make no apology that the message here is going to be directly pointed upon myself and my brothers in the elders' ministry. So you have your Bibles, John chapter 21, and I'm reading from verse 15 to 23. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers, that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Obviously, the disciples had responded to Christ's invitation for breakfast. The previous account spoke of the disciples out fishing, catching nothing, and Jesus performing a miracle. And from shore, Christ was making breakfast. And he says to the disciples, come and have breakfast with me. And so they responded and had breakfast. And then I think Jesus said to Peter, Peter, let's go for a walk. You say, well, where do you get that, Jim? Well, I get it in verse 20. Because they were walking. They left the fire and maybe went for a stroll, and the other disciples, including John, were following. But Peter is being addressed by his Lord. And along this walk, Jesus said to him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Notice the first time when he asked, though, he says, do you love me more than these? That's in verse 15. Do you love me more than these? 
I need to clarify two things before I continue, two things that need some clarification. The first thing is on this word love that is being used in this passage. Of course, the language that would have been used in discussion with with Peter as they walked along would be Aramaic. It wasn't Greek. It would be Aramaic, and it was translated into Greek. And in the Greek language, there's much made about the word love. I'm sure you've heard this before if you've been around the church much. There's a word for erotic love, eros love. There's a word for uh, divine love or unconditional love or committed love that is pronounced agapeo. There's a word for brotherly love, love within human beings and fellowship called phileo. And much has been made in this passage of this word love because Jesus uses the word agapeo first and then philos and then agapeo. Peter responds in philos and as a young man and as a young Christian, I heard lots of sermons from this text on the various uses of the word love. But you know, brothers and sisters, a careful study of this word love will reveal that actually the word agapeo, agape love, or philos, uh, fellowship love, are used interchangeably in the Bible. There are sermons that have made much of that in the past and books written much of in the past. And I don't think it's wise to make too much of something that's used interchangeable. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul Sr. said, John uses the word phileo and agapeo interchangeably, so there's no reason to assume that the change of words here is due to anything more than a stylistic preference. The author of the Expositor's Bible Commentary says the same thing. Both words respect a high respect for love. They're both used of God and men in this gospel, and they seem to be used interchangeably with no difference. Dr. Don Carson, who has the one of the best expositions of the Gospel of John agrees. In fact, he takes time to go into great length technically. I'm simply saying that I haven't made up this idea, and I'm simply saying this particularly to older Christians because you have, been, you have read books, you have been under the teaching of, of people who were sincere, who cared for your soul, but much was made of these words, and in fact, I would advise you not to make anything of them and take them verbatim as our English Bibles have communicated them, that Jesus was hammering at Peter saying, Peter, do you love me? That's the point. It's actually the point that the text says Peter was frustrated with Jesus. He was frustrated like, you've asked me three times already, do I love you? You know I love you. He was grieved. So I say with a good conscience this morning that what I would take from this passage is just that Jesus is pressing in to whether or not Peter has come to the understanding, do you love me? The second point that I want to clarify is the first time when Jesus said that, I pointed out, Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? Now, that has conjured up a lot of discussion. What did Jesus mean? What did Jesus mean? Did he mean, do you love me more than these? If you think back to last Sunday's message, you'll recall that Peter was fishing in his own boat on the Sea of Galilee, and he had his boat and all his fishing gear there, and the fish were there. And many people have thought, well, Jesus was pointing to the boat and the fish, 
and, 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 and saying, Peter, do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than your occupation? Because I'm calling you to future ministry. Are you willing to give up your fishing for fishing for men? And as, as reasonable as that sounds, I don't agree with that point of view. Some people think that Jesus is saying, do you love, do you love me more than you love these disciples? Obviously, there's an entourage of disciples coming along behind, and Jesus might have been saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love these guys? Are you willing to give up your friends to follow me? Again, that's a reasonable explanation, but not one that I hold to. The position I hold to is that Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these men love me? Do you love me more than these men love me? Now, good and godly people disagree, and you may end up disagreeing with me, and that's fine. But I'm offering you the position that I've best understood through consideration of Peter's life. Peter was a brash, arrogant person. In fact, in Matthew 26, he said to Jesus, he said, though they fall away, I won't. I love you more, Lord. Peter said, even though they run away from you, I won't. And you'll remember that's when Jesus said, Peter, the cock isn't going to crow three times before you deny me. Peter's part of the group that was wanting to be part of the greatest. And so I'm convinced of the fact that what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, reflecting on your life, do you really love me more than they do? Do you really love me more than they do? You're the one that said that you would die for me. Peter, do you remember that dark night when you were by the fire and you saw me over at the governor's house? Do you remember when the cock crowed the third time and I looked at you and you were weeping bitterly? Peter, do you really love me more than these guys? When I was arrested and everyone ran away, do you really love me more than these guys? Peter is a new man. In this text, he's a new man. He's humble. And he recognizes that God is omniscient. God knows everything. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. I thought I could fool you in my life. I thought I could trick you. I thought I could make myself look better than I really am, but you know everything. And he said, today, Lord, I, you know I love you. You know everything. Isn't it good to pause and just think of that for a minute about ourselves? We can say, I can say what I want. But it's the Lord that knows the heart. As Pastor Josh preached several weeks ago, he's the word that comes right through to the motives of our soul. He knows for sure. Then Jesus prophesied of Peter's future. Hey, Peter, you love me. Guess what's in store for you? There's going to be a day come where you go where you don't want to go. You're taken where you don't want to be taken. Someone else will have to dress you. And many expositors believe that when Jesus said, your arms will be outstretched, he was prophesying that Peter would someday die 
the death of a martyr. The text gives weight to that. For John's editorial comment is that Jesus was saying this to show what kind of death Peter would die. In so many words, Jesus was telling Peter that as Peter obeyed him and followed him and cared for his church, it would not lead him to glory and fame. He wouldn't get a book contract. He wouldn't get a big stadium somewhere where crowds would come to follow and listen to him preach. His love for the Lord would lead him to his own death. Knowing his fate, then Peter then looks behind and says, what about him? (laughs) And in the Jim McClellan paraphrase of this verse, it says, mind your own business, Peter. (laughs) What's going to happen to him is my business. You just follow me. You just follow me. How are we going to apply this? How does this apply to you this morning? As I said at the beginning, I believe the application of this text is first and foremost for myself and my fellow elders, your elders at Elk Point Baptist Church. The life of Peter was characterized by bold, arrogant brashness, but now things have changed. He truly loves Jesus, and he's been given a mandate and an idea of what is going to happen. And in that legacy, we as elders receive some important instruction. First of all, to all of us elders at Elk Point Baptist Church, will you please notice that the sheep that Peter's to feed are not his sheep. Feed my sheep. Those who are members of God's flock in this church do not belong to us men. They belong to Jesus. To all of you, can you see the difference when a man is called to serve his church and his mindset is, all of these people belong to Jesus and I must care for them? Have you ever been asked to look after somebody's cats or dogs or even livestock or do their chores for them or flowers? Imagine if the living Christ came to you and said, these belong to me. Will you look after them? Do you, do you, see, do you see how that changes? Do you see how it changes the attitude in a church where a church is led by men who actually believe that the people of the church are Jesus' property? They belong to Christ. They are owned by him. They are loved by him. Or as was read for us in Acts 20, those whom he shed his blood for. Do you see how it changes how you lead a church? It's a good reminder to all of us. See, much like parents caring for children, and I don't, I, I'm hesitant to use that illustration because I don't like to use the idea of elders in a church like parent and children. That doesn't work well. But there's something that works well there, and that is you're caring for a gift that God gave you. All children are an inheritance from the Lord. And as parents love and care for their children because they belong to Jesus, so elders care for the church because it belongs to Jesus. We as elders must look at you and say, we care for you because you belong to Jesus. That was read for us. Paul addressing the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. The members of the church were bought with the precious blood of Christ. And it's none other than the Holy Spirit who has made us elders to care for you. And how we care for you is in the way that you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And therefore, you must be our delight and treasure as he is, as, as you are to Christ. So the first thing elders need to remember this morning is that the sheep are not ours. They belong to Christ. The second thing is that the first and primary role of the elders is to feed the sheep. When you at Elk Point Baptist Church appointed elders, you did not appoint CEOs. You did not appoint MBAs. You did not appoint people who have high political or social profiles for the sake of growing a church. You, you appointed men who are called to feed the sheep. That's the primary role of the pastor slash elders in the church is to feed the sheep. Grant Osborne, the late Grant Osborne said, maintaining the flock of God is one of the keys to the mission of the church. The lost cannot truly be reached with success until the saints are deeply fed and mobilized. So it's our role as elders to provide spiritual nourishment and food for you. Now mark my words, sadly, in the evangelical domain, among many churches, the role of the pastor or elders is not feeding the tummies of people, it's scratching their ears. You know where I'm getting that, don't you? Today in many churches, the primary ambition of the elders is not to feed people's spiritual tummies, it's to scratch their ears. Paul said to Timothy, there's a time coming when men and women will not endure. Can I just say thank you for enduring? Many of you have been enduring sound doctrine for 40 years at Elk Point Baptist Church. It's been one of the things that God has impressed upon us here in the previous pastorate and as, as it continues. And it's the goal of the elders that it will continue to continue. People will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears and accumulate Teachers, itching ears, or I want to come to church and hear what I want to hear. I want to come to church and hear the kind of things that make me feel good. Pastoring, preaching is God's vocation upon my heart. So I read a lot. I watch a lot. I listen to, I don't say this to brag, but I can't tell you the number of sermons every week I listen from other men and other places. And if you're listening carefully, mark my words, and if you're listening online, write it down. Most sermons in most evangelical churches today sound like TED Talks. They're therapy sessions and that's it. Paul was very serious with Timothy. I charge you before God and the angels, preach the word. Preach the word. That's 2 Timothy 4.1. In the Old Testament, the teachers of Israel were known 
as men, and I quote Numbers 8 or Nehemiah 8 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. They read it clearly. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. There was nothing innovative about the teachers of Israel or God's preachers through the ages. There's nothing innovative. There's nothing creative. They didn't say, what am I going to say this Sunday that's going to make people sit up and listen and do this and do that? They simply opened the book and explained what it meant. Somebody ought to say amen by now. Nothing innovative there. Just open the book, read it clearly, Nehemiah 8.8, and make sense of it. You don't have to create your own ideas or notions or philosophies. As I've said in other settings, at least one other setting, I said my job is to plagiarize the Bible. You understand what I mean by that? That's why at Elk Point Baptist Church, we believe that the pastors, teachers, ought to exegete the Bible. That's a big word. It simply means draw the meaning out of the Bible. It's not our job to put the meaning in the Bible. To those who preach regularly, study God's Word, pray, and seek the meaning of the text, and that becomes the message. Rarely in the decades that have gone past in this church has a pastor ever said, well, today I'm going to think I'm going to preach on how to be successful on the job. And then I'm going to apply a few passages to beef it up, and that's the message. It's not the job of the elder. The elder is to study the Word of God, clearly understand it, and communicate that meaning to others. We call it expository preaching. We're exposing what's in this book. Probably sensing a little passion up here right now, right? Just a little bit. Thirdly, elders, it's not God, it's not our sheep. The sheep belong to Jesus. Our job is to feed the flock. Feed the flock. And thirdly and finally, our motivation is a deep, deep love for Jesus. Every time that Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, he asked him, do you love me? It should be the task of every man that comes to this pulpit to open the God's Word, to ask himself, do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Someone said personal agendas have got to go. Current issues, soapbox issues have got to go. Personal priorities have got to go. Building a personal profile for yourself has got to go. Because you see, if, if I, for example, come here with my agenda and my priorities, my extending my profile, if that's my agenda, I love me more than Jesus. I don't say this to brag. I just say this to teach. There's rarely a Sunday morning that I don't ask myself the question that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, and my teaching out of love and a pure heart, clear conscience, and a sincere faith. 
That's my prayer. You want to know how to pray for us who preach and teach from this pulpit? Pray that God would so transform our hearts that we come to this place of feeding the sheep out of love for Christ, out of pure motives, out of a clear conscience. How sad it is when I examine my life and realize I might be teaching you or preaching to you something I don't obey myself. And sincere faith. As we mount this pulpit, as we open this Bible, as we preach, it must not be based on confidence in my rhetorical ability, in my ability to communicate. Oh, how sad it would be. The late, great Charles Haddon Spurgeon he was told that as he walked from his place of seating to his pulpit, he would mutter to himself over and over and over and over again, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Sincere faith. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Would you turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5? I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. First Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." You might be sitting here this morning and saying, Jim has been speaking a lot to himself and the other elders at Elk Point Baptist Church. Why did I bother come? <laughs> what was there in there for me? What does the Lord have to say to me? I'm not an elder. Well, let me ask you to again look at your Bible. Make sure I'm not making this up. And I want you to notice verse 3, that along with all the things that, El that Peter the elder said to the other elders, he said, be examples of the flock. Now, this is the little hook, the little grab on you in the congregation. An elder is a, an example that means that elders are not to do the ministry for members of the church. They are to do the ministry as examples of members of the church. It's taken all this time to come to the point where I said, there is something here for you too. You see, that means that church members ought to be doing the same thing as church elders are doing, and the elder is to be the example. That means that you also have a responsibility to love the church as it belongs to Christ. You too have a responsibility to feed the church. 
For example, do you maximize the opportunities when you're together? Whether you're in a boat around a campfire, playing a game at a table, do you maximize the opportunity to feed the church? Some of you are going, ouch! And you should be. I intend it to hurt. The elder is an example. He doesn't do it for you. He is an example. It means that church members ought to be doing the same thing. Loving Jesus, caring for the flock, feeding the flock. The elders are simply human examples of that. Some of you might say, well, how can, I be, uh, how can I be an example of who the elders are? Well, some of you are parents. Can I ask you the question, do you look at your children and is it your intention and your ambition to feed your flock? to love them as Jesus loves them. Hmm? What is the number one teaching priority in your home, parents? Is it to gather your little ones and read the Bible clearly and Teach them what it means? So the elders are simply examples of what you should be doing. The second application for you who are not elders officially in the church is that we are convinced by Holy Scripture that it's the members of the local church that prayerfully and studiously choose their elders. Therefore, it's very important that you understand what you're to do when that time comes. You're to look for men who are compelled by God's love. You are look to men who are, according to 1 Timothy 3, apt to teach. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily in formal, public ways. It can be mean in ways where you saddle up to an elder in the foyer and say, by the way, such and such is happening in my life. Can you give me biblical counsel? Or I was reading on Monday morning in my devotions this phrase, can you help me understand what that means? And he as a fellow student of God's word will lead you and guide you, not always knowing all the answers, but will lead you and guide you. It also means that Elk Point Baptist Church should be mentoring and developing, or as I've said in other settings, creating a culture where men love to study God's Word and be grown and discipled to the point that when the decades pass, there's always godly leaders in this church. And I can say without fear of uh, contradiction that that's our intent and some of you men know that. You've already heard that from us as we've spoken to you individually. And you as a church, can you continue to pray that over the ages God would continue to raise up godly men who will love and serve and tend and care for and feed the flock of God? Every Sunday on the slide and many times when I close the service, I quote from Acts 20, 32. 
where Paul said to these elders, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, the word is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those who are sanctified. You all recall that, right? You've heard that a few times. That came into my heart and soul decades ago when I was involved in a denomination that was very anxious to grow churches. And many of the strategies and tactics to grow churches. A leader in that denomination gave us pastors a book to read. And there was 12 steps to grow a church. I only remember two of them. One was a paved parking lot and the other was clean washrooms. I, I'm not lying. Some of you got your mouth open. I'm not lying. Many other things that were entertained in those years about how to grow a church was remove the pulpit. Here you go to TED Talks. And the pastor gets to pronounce up and down the stage back and forth doing his daily morning exercise while the congregation tries to keep track of him. Remove the pulpit. Furnish the church with the most easily readable paraphrase of the Bible. That's how you grow a church. None of this KJV, NASB, ESV, whatever kind of, you know. Stop taking up the offering. I'm not lying. The offering impedes visitors. It makes them feel uncomfortable. Do you understand what we're dealing with? I went home brokenhearted and finally left the committee and began to pray and read, and I realized that I did not have to invent a mission statement and a strategy for Elk Point Baptist Church. God already invented one. In other words, he said, our mission is in Matthew 28, where God says through his son, Jesus Christ, to the apostles and now to the elders and now to the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them how to, watch it, teaching them how to obey the Bible, my words. I didn't have to invent a mission statement. And I sure didn't have to invent a vision, which was another requirement. As I found in Revelation 7, 9, a vision for the church, for all Christian churches. And it's a vision of every tongue and tribe and nation gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him, giving all glory to the Lamb who was slain. And every Sunday morning at Elk Point Baptist Church, I get to look at some Aboriginal people. I get to look at some black people and some Filipino people and some white people and some Korean people and some Nigerian people. And I go, praise God. The vision is coming together. And I didn't have to invent how to grow a church. I didn't have to invent that. I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Now, you don't have to be a student in Greek to understand that. You know? That's plain sense. The Bible is the means of growing the church, and that's why... Jesus said to the apostles, feed my sheep. And the apostles said to the elders, preach the word. And God's will will be done. And we can trust him to do it. Will you pray with me?
Forgive us, Father, when we have thought that we're smarter than you, that we can be more innovative, inventive, creative than you. Forgive us. We have sinned. As members of the body of Christ, we have sinned. You have given us your word, which is able to completely furnish the man of God in all righteousness. Help us to be recommitted to the study and the obedience of your word. I pray for myself and my fellow elders that are listening here this morning. I pray that our hearts would be examined by your Holy Spirit. Are we motivated out of love for you? Oh, Lord, make it happen in our lives. Make it happen that we would be men that are absolutely, fatally in love with Jesus so that we can say with Paul, I count my life I don't count my life dear to me, but that I might finish the work with joy that you have given me to do. I pray as elders we would be ever mindful that we have the privilege of caring for people bought with the precious blood of Christ. And I pray that we would be men who become greater and greater able to feed the flock. I pray for Elk Point Baptist Church. I pray that within parents and children and families, within small groups, within different community fellowship groups, that the love for one another and the feeding of one another will be uppermost. And Lord, I pray for the decades and the future as you might tarry that this church will always find in its leadership qualified elders and deacons and men and women who love you more than these. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as you hear God's benediction? I'm not going to throw a curveball at you. Now I commend you to God to the word of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all who are sanctified. May God bless you. Go in peace.